Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Dave James. Columbus city leaders, along with local representatives from state government, held a news conference this week about gun violence. In a moment, we'll present three of the speakers from that event. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, Tracy Townsend looks at the upcoming special election. Legislation at the State House aimed at limiting drag queen performances and a controversial issue in Marysville to increase the number of housing rentals. In about 45 minutes, I'll talk with Ohio's Democratic U.S. Senator Sherrod Brown about various issues, and I'll wrap up the hour talking with a doctor from the National Institutes of Health about long COVID. First up on Columbus Perspective, the city of Columbus continues to be in a legal battle with the state over the city's right to enact its own gun laws. Columbus Mayor Andrew Genther and others spoke at a news conference this week in front of the State House. We're presenting portions of what three speakers had to say, including the mayor, State Representative Allison Russo of Upper Arlington, and State Senator Herschel Craig of Columbus. First, here's about seven and a half minutes with Columbus Mayor Andrew Genther. No shooting, no death is just a number. Each represents a father, mother, brother, sister, friend, neighbor, and each one causes ever-widening ripples of unspeakable grief, pain, and loss. We are committed to ending this vicious cycle once and for all. We're here today to say loud and clear and unequivocally that this violence must end, and we need our state legislators to use every lever at their disposal to get the guns off our streets and bring down the violence. Neighbors, here's the simple truth. Ever since the federal assault weapons ban expired in 2004, we've seen a steady proliferation of guns pouring into America's cities. So far this year, there have been 88 homicides in Columbus. 78 of those 88 homicides involve the use of a gun. It's almost 90 percent. We've also seen a disturbing rise in domestic violence-related deaths. We're already at 15 in 2023, accounting for all of the uptick in homicides we've seen this year and more. This is particularly important when you consider the fact that more than one in three women report experiencing abuse from a partner throughout their lifetime. And abusers and firearms are five times more likely to kill their female victims. Last year, CPD recovered more than 3,300 firearms, the most ever collected by the division. And we're on track to recover more guns this year than we did in 2022. More than 1,900 guns have already been recovered in Columbus year to date. Nationwide gun violence is now the leading cause of death among America's children for the first time in recorded history. Think about that for a second. A child in America is more likely to die as a result of gun violence than a car accident for the first time in the history of the Republic. More than cancer, drownings, more than every other risk, hazard, or illness. Gun violence is a public health crisis, and it is killing our children. All of this demonstrates just how deadly and detrimental gun violence is to the safety 
the security of our communities. And all of this makes abundantly clear why the city of Columbus took the historic step of declaring gun violence as a public health crisis back in February of last year. And yet, what have our leaders in the State House done to address this issue? Even after the calls to do something after a mass shooting killing our neighbors in Dayton. They've turned a blind eye to reality and fact and reason. Passed the most dangerous and reckless gun laws in the history of the state. Going against law enforcement, going against prosecutors, going against research and evidence. Putting our neighborhoods and our officers at greater risk. Take Senate Bill 215, for example, which eliminated the concealed carry permit requirement. This drastic change puts the burden on police to determine whether an individual is armed, which only escalates the danger and the uncertainty law enforcement face each and every day on the streets of Columbus and in the streets of cities across our state. As you can see, extremist lawmakers have made matters worse. The laws they push through allow practically anyone to own a gun with zero training. And that kind of wild, wild west mentality has no chance of making our families or our officers safer. We need the state and federal governments to step up to help us keep illegal guns off our streets. And if they don't have the courage to act, they need to get out of our way so that we can do what we know we need to do to protect our communities. We're just talking about common sense gun safety legislation here. Universal background checks, red flag laws, repealing permitless carry. These are laws supported by clear majorities from every walk of life. All Ohioans from all over the state support these. A poll just in the past few weeks came out that said that 92% of Ohioans support mandatory background checks. 92%. 74% support red flag laws. We know what we need to do. And if the legislature will not act on behalf of the overwhelming majority of Ohioans, they need to get out of our way so that we can protect the people of our communities. The city of Columbus is doing all that we can to enact common sense gun safety legis legislation at the local level. But cynical legal challenges championed by Attorney General Yost have bogged down our reforms in the courts, and Columbus families are paying the price. Despite these setbacks, we remain undaunted. City Attorney Klein is pushing back against these brazen attempts to rob cities like Columbus of our rightful ability to ensure the safety, security, and well-being of the very lives we're elected to serve and protect. Those legal battles are still underway, and they will continue until we pursue every possible avenue to secure our ability to govern our cities just as the Ohio Constitution intended. But we're also proceeding purposefully and intentionally on a variety of other fronts. We're passing out gun lock boxes for free and in record numbers. Maybe we wouldn't need so many lock boxes if we didn't have so many guns. I've also stood up the city's first ever Office of 
violence prevention, we're devoting historic sums of funding to neighborhood safety, summer youth programming, and dozens of prevention and intervention efforts. We're hiring record numbers of police officers and firefighters, and we completed the first major reorganization of our police forces in over 10 years, making sure we have the right number of officers in the right places at the right times. But more needs to be done. All of us have a role to play in making our neighborhoods safer. Legislators, prosecutors, judges, employers, faith leaders, parents, everyone. We believe that collaboratively we can and we must do better as a community. At the same time, we'll continue to push for common sense gun safety legislation, just as we're doing here today. Columbus Mayor Andrew Genther speaking in front of the State House this week. He was joined by other speakers, including State Representative Allison Russo of Upper Arlington. Here's about four minutes of what she had to say. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, I am State Representative Allison Russo, also the Ohio House Minority Leader. Uh, I want to thank Mayor Genther, uh, as well as the wonderful uh, groups that we have here, Moms Demand, uh, Janae, uh, for being here, our uh, partners from the city, to uh, assemble and have this news conference to talk about uh, this important issue that is plaguing our schools, our communities, and the ability of our first responders, our law enforcement, to keep us all safe in our communities. Listen, let's call a spade a spade. Ohio has some of the worst pro-gun crime and anti-cop laws in the country. And nothing has been done about it. And in fact, we've got a legislature, a supermajority, who makes it worse. On average, more than 1,700 people die by guns in Ohio each year. We have the 24th highest gun deaths, rate of gun deaths in the country. And we have the 18th highest rate of unintentional gun deaths things like suicide and accidental shootings in the U.S. And, as was mentioned before, gun violence is now the leading cause of death for our children. That should outrage every single citizen in this state, and I believe that it does. These numbers do not lie. Gun violence is a public health crisis and has overtaken many of our cities, including Columbus, our great state of Ohio, because the gun rate death, the gun death rate is high even in rural communities and our entire nation. The numbers don't lie either when it comes to what Ohioans, Republicans, Democrats, independents want us to do about it. They have been very clear about this. A new USA Today, Suffolk University poll shows that the majority of Ohioans across party lines, they support mandatory background checks, they support banning high-capacity magazines or assault-style weapons, they support red flag laws, a piece of legislation I've carried every General Assembly that I've been here, and they support liability laws that mandate safe storage. For years now, Democrats, my Democratic colleagues here in the House and the Senate, 
we have been pushing for these very same laws here in the state of Ohio because we know that most Ohioans support this. This is not partisan. This is about what is best for Ohio because we know, Ohioans know, that common sense gun laws will save lives. But instead, for years, all we've seen come out of this extremist gerrymandered uh, state house are laws that encourage more gun crimes, like the shoot first, or laws that endanger our law enforcement officers, like removing the duty to notify, and the, that tie the hands of our local officials to be able to deal with the violence in their communities. Uh, things like uh, preemption laws that preempt local and federal gun laws. Nothing but pro-gun violence and anti-cop laws has come out of this legislature in the last decade. But together we can stop this. And I want you to listen to the stories that are being told here today. And I want you to never stop fighting for what you know is right. That means talking to your local leaders and your schools, your community centers, and your town halls. That means demanding that your state representative, that your state senator, and that any legislative leader in this, in this building behind me that they stand up and they fight for the people of Ohio, not the gun lobby and not the gun manufacturing groups. State Representative Allison Russo of Upper Arlington speaking in front of the State House this week at a news conference. Also joining her that day, State Senator Herschel Craig of Columbus. This runs about four minutes. Fannie Lou Hamer, famous civil rights leader, said this, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. And so just to make the point clear, this is not an esoteric experience. Certainly want to thank the mayor and all and the council members and all that they are doing. Uh, certainly City Attorney Klein uh, for your work. I certainly need to acknowledge the work of Moms of Man Action and Mothers Against Murdered Children. For you to be here today, it's already been said, we pray and hope that there's not another mother standing here of a, of a murdered child. Over four years ago, the city of Dayton took one minute. Nine people were dead. 17 people were, were injured. Over 2,500 mass shootings four years after that. 2,500 mass shootings nation, nationwide. 101 across Ohio, 21 alone in Columbus. The mayor's already spoke to that issue. I've gone to funerals, I either preach funerals, of 13 and 14-year-olds looking bishop over in a casket of a 14-year-old child. Four years after, they asked us to do something. And yet the question remains, leader, what have we done? We've already, you she's already eloquently described it, is that it's really been exacerbated with these extremely harmful and dangerous efforts to block initiatives that could help people's lives. Senate Bill 215, the permitless concealed carry legislation. Senate Bill 175, replacing the duty to retreat with stand your ground. House Bill 99 allowing fire, uh, teachers to carry firearms in, in schools where they need to be teaching our children. 
uh, and ensuring that they're building ladders of opportunities for them. So the struggle goes on. I introduced legislation uh, in the Senate, Senate Bill 78, Mayor, to restore our city's ability to regulate guns. And I'm working hard to introduce more legislation in the coming days. We've been doing this over these last several years to ensure that our families and children will have an opportunity to live. And that's what this day is really all about, ensuring, as the mayor's already described it so eloquently, that our children, it is a public health crisis, that our children and families would have an opportunity to live. And for those that make decisions, and these very dangerous decisions, in terms of these, the proliferation of gun laws, I wake up every morning in my community hearing gunfire. This is not a, uh, something just to say, Bishop, but I wake up in the morning hearing gunshots in my community. Down the street, Pastor Lamar, who just left, four or five years ago, we had 17 murders in that community. This is real. And it's palatable. We ought to be doing something. Uh, this is effective for all of our children, whether you, whether you live in the central, city, central city, city or not. All over our state, families are being affected by this. And so today, it's about us linking hands and saying very clearly to the legislature. The mayor's already said, if you can't do it, then get out of the way so that the municipalities, those that are on the ground, can make decisions about our children and their lives. State Senator Herschel Craig of Columbus speaking with others in front of the State House this week. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. When you're high, you feel different. You think different, you talk different, you draw different, you listen to music different, but you probably knew that. Problem is, you also drive different, and not in a good way. That's why driving high is illegal everywhere. So if you're high, just don't drive. Make a plan to get a sober ride. Because if you feel different, you drive different. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Times of transition, whether from a sad event or a joyful one, can leave us feeling adrift. Social connections are an important part of a healthy life. Being isolated and lonely can be harmful to your health. It can lead to high blood pressure, a greater risk of heart disease, and early-onset dementia. So it's important to build and maintain connections to people, not just in your family, but others whose relationships bring meaning to your life. Trying a new hobby, volunteering, exercising, even using your phone or other device to stay in touch with others. All these can be great ways to keep up your social connections and your physical and mental well-being. Visit connecttoeffect.org to see if you're at risk of social isolation and find ways to get connected. This message is brought to you by United Healthcare and AARP Foundation. The special election. Too many Ohioans don't even know that there's a special election or that the issue is so important. You've probably seen yard signs for and against issue one. Coming up, we're breaking down what a yes or no vote means. Drag queens dragged into politics, the debate involving children and certain performances. 
and the roadways getting assistance from the state. Which neighborhoods will see updated streets? Face the State begins now. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, here's Tracy Townsend from her Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. We are just a little over a week away from the special August election, and thousands of Ohioans have already cast their ballots early. Thank you so much for joining us for Face of the State on this Sunday. I'm Tracy Townsend. For the first time in years, the focus around the single issue on the ballot is proving to bring out more voters than most special elections. But exactly what is issue one, and what would a yes or no vote mean? Lena Lale from our sister station, WKYC, breaks it down. It is a rare summertime special election with only one statewide issue on the ballot. Supporters of issue one say it's simple. You know, it, it's too easy to change the Constitution at 50 percent plus one. It should be difficult. What would issue one do? It would raise the threshold for passing constitutional amendments in Ohio. Since 1912, it's been a simple majority. That is 50 percent plus one. Passage of issue one would require 60 percent of the vote. Too many Ohioans don't even know that there's a special election or that the issue is so important. It's why opponents of issue one would permanently remove our rights from the Ohio Constitution have now launched a $1.1 million ad campaign for an issue that could have profound impacts on matters like abortion rights and raising the minimum wage. So why the August special election? Republican Secretary of State Frank LaRose admitted last month, quote, this is 100 percent about keeping a radical pro-abortion amendment out of our Constitution. Last week, abortion rights advocates turned in 710,000 signatures, nearly twice the requirement to put abortion rights on the November ballot. And we're really concerned that if this passes, only well-financed groups will be able to bring ballot initiatives to the people and win. Because currently, petitioners need to get enough signatures from 44 counties. Issue 1 would require them from all 88 Ohio counties. Therefore, policy issues like abortion, marijuana, gambling, all these other things should be left to the state legislature to decide. We have seen a steady stream of voters throughout the last two weeks. And remember, there are changes as it relates to voting in the polls. The rules were first put in place during the May primary. Voters must have a state-issued photo ID. You can no longer have the option to use perhaps a bank statement or a bill as proof of your address. The change has been criticized for its impact on low-income Ohioans. Remember, the polls are open from 6.30 in the morning until 7.30 at night. And you are still permitted to vote as long as you are in line before the polls close at 7.30 in the evening. We're certainly going to follow this election and any potential problems at the polls. We'll do that on air and online and on our free 10 TV app. All right, now let's take a look at the Senate race. A new candidate is jumping into the fray, and he's a familiar face. I know something has to change. Someone needs to step up and take on the fight. 
Well, I'm agreeing. Ohio Secretary of State Frank LaRose is now in his second term as Ohio's elections chief. Before that, he spent eight years as a state senator and served as a U.S. Army Green Beret. Secretary LaRose is joining other Republican candidates hoping to unseat Democratic Senator Sherrod Brown. Right now, State Senator Matt Dolan and business owner Bernie Marino are also running. New legislation would prohibit drag performances in our state where children may be. The bill also prohibits other adult performances, including exotic dancers and strippers. Here now is 10TV News reporter Tara Jabor. House Bill 245 looks to limit adult cabaret performances. That includes go-go dancers, strippers, and entertainers who exhibit an identity that was not assigned at birth. It just uh, prohibits obscene entertainment in the presence of a minor. Representative Williams is a primary sponsor. He says it's about protecting minors. There's a morality issue to it. Um, we don't want to expose our minors to these type of sexualized performances at a very young age. We've seen time and time again there's been a push towards these type of performances getting more explicit in the presence of minors. That's why he wants to limit those performances to bars and nightclubs. But LGBTQ advocates say the bill is an attempt to suppress their culture. Absolutely how absurd and ridiculous this particular motion is. It's a form of entertainment and that's been prevalent across our culture and society for thousands of years. Eichler says some drag is not appropriate for children, but that type of drag is not at parades and parks. He says there is drag that's appropriate for children. The, arti the artistic ability of it, the work that goes into it, the expression, not to mention the influence for those that look and say, hey, I'm different, and I feel like I might connect with that person. Hunter Fallhaber is a current drag queen who goes by Soy Queen. Drag entertainers and the LGBTQ plus community, we're not, like, we're not thinking about children. Our, we don't have an agenda to go out and persuade kids or corrupt quick kids or make kids like us. He calls the legislation disappointing and upsetting. I'm not a criminal. I'm not targeting children. My, I don't have an agenda to corrupt anybody. And that was Tara Jabor reporting for us. Now, if this piece of legislation passes, those who perform in front of children would face a misdemeanor charge. If the material is described as obscene, charges would become a felony. A Columbus-based organization that helps low-wage earning families get out of crime-ridden communities and into neighborhoods with green spaces, grocery stores, and good schools is getting a million-dollar boost to expand opportunities to more families. Our three-year program gives people time to do what we all do. We make mistakes, we figure it out, we try again. Move to Prosper is now getting a major boost in the state budget for 2024-2025, receiving $1 million in funding effective July 1st, payable as $500,000 in fiscal year 2024 and $500,000 in the following year, 2025. We first reported on the organization in 2021 with Bessie Jackson, a single working mother of two. I'm not looking for a handout at all. I just want a little help, a little guidance. Participants get more than a little guidance. There is three years of rental support, assistance with new schools and new neighborhoods, and mandatory one-on-one -on -one coaching to help reach finance, health and wellness, career advice, and other goals. Move to Prosper also made a difference for Sherilyn Elkins, a single parent who says it improved her living conditions and her financial IQ. Without this program, where do you think you'd be? 
The scary part is I don't know. We change the trajectory of a family's life. We do. We do. Both the, the children and the parents. Mm -hmm. And I love it. One of our other participants says it's not a two-generation model. Right. Her mom learned from watching her in the program. Mm -hmm. And her children, ch children's children, will be better off. And the cousins and the you know yeah. aunts and uncles, as mm -hmm. they're watching her and her daughter go through the program, mm -hmm. they're all learning. Now, the line item for Move to Prosper in the budget has bipartisan support. Think about that. There is a research-proven template for the organization. They work with The Ohio State University, and the team is already making plans for growth beyond the first 100 families already mapped out to join now and April 2025. So more to come on that. Columbus City leaders say a Greyhound terminal can remain open because there's nowhere else to go right now. It's the only operation here in Columbus. The city attorney says the city was blindsided and didn't know all of the things happening there were going on to serve at that Greyhound terminal or that it was even running until last week. 10 TV News reporter Ashley Bornanson filed this report earlier. We are not the issue. Greyhound is the issue. Safety is the issue. Home values are the issue. Parking is an issue. All of that is an issue right now. Issues. Molly Moody, a local business owner in West Columbus, says is all the neighborhood has had since the new Greyhound terminal started operating June 28th. But the main concern? We were not aware. The businesses were not aware. Tony Celebrezzi, the deputy director, says the city was also blindsided. Did the city know at the time it was going to be a Greyhound facility as well, or you were unaware of that? It was, it was not portrayed to us. It was just it was a bus terminal. However, because it's zoned as a C4 commercial, it was not the city's responsibility to notify residents. The way the code's written, if you're doing an activity on a, on a parcel that's zoned correctly and you don't need variances, there's no, there's not not necessarily interaction with the neighborhood or the area commission. Celebrezzi says the city is encouraging the terminal to leave, but... At this point, the city doesn't have another bus terminal like this, and if uh, we shut it down, which we do have the authority to do, the challenge becomes where do those buses start dropping off people, and are they dropping off people in unsafe locations? In the meantime, they're pressing owners for improvements to the site. Celebrezzi says they've increased securities, cameras, and bathroom facilities with an outdoor weather-controlled trailer and nicer porta-potties. Then by the end of this week, we are expecting to see a new site plan and a new building plan. Uh, the site plan will help us understand how many people he's expecting, where, how the traffic, uh, both pickup and drop off and then the bus traffic how it's going to move around the site in a safe manner. Regardless, Moody says it needs to be moved. It needs to be to a larger location. What are they going to do in the winter? What, what's going to happen in the cold weather? And when do you want this to happen? Immediately. Paving the way. Still ahead on Face of the State, the roads getting new funding in Central Ohio and a new effort to hang up on robocalls. We'll tell you how that works. Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors. 
This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV. Ohio roads will soon get millions of dollars in improvements over the next few years, including State Route 161, that corridor near New Albany. Ohio Governor Mike DeWine announced the investments to Central Ohio roads, and it could mean years of work to invest in them. Gabriela Garcia explains what this means for you, the driver. We've got 48 companies moving from the West Coast to our state, so Ohioans can expect a lot more orange barrels on the road in the next few years. $90 million worth. Governor Mike DeWine says $66 million of that money will go to local road improvements. It's this money will go towards reconstructing roadways, improving the safety and efficiency of intersections, widening roads to handle increased traffic. That work is planned for now through 2028 in areas across Licking County, like the intersections between State Route 37 and U.S. Route 62 and Mink Street and Duncan Plains Road. Today's investment is just the latest uh, in a long list of investments that we and our partners in the private sector have made and are continuing to make. But what about the remaining $24 million? That's going toward ODOT projects in Licking County, including the already planned 161 expansion that's really kicking into high gear this summer. Even railroads are being looked at here. Three quarters of a million dollars is going toward adding more tracks to the Newark yard and reduce block rail crossings on local roads. Transfer Transportation should never be a roadblock to Ohio's success, and in fact, transportation is an essential part of our success and our future. For 10TV News, I'm Gabriela Garcia. Also with a population boom on the roads, housing is a hot topic in central Ohio. No matter where you're looking to live, the competition is intense and the inventory is tight. That's for homeowners and renters alike. There's a new plan in Marysville to add nearly 300 rental homes. It's causing quite a divide. 10TV's Lindsay Mills also found a proposed law taking aim at corporations buying up thousands of homes for profit. Marysville residents have had meetings in recent weeks to express their concerns. They say this new plan for nearly 300 homes to be rented out puts strain on an already tight and competitive market. A proposal to rezone roughly 100 acres off Weaver Road on the south side of the city of Marysville to a planned unit development would give way to a plan from a developer to build single-family homes to be rented out. We want to welcome more people here in Marysville. We love the feel of it. Just let's have some response growth and 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 do things and be thoughtful about it. Residents like Barb Phillips say they're concerned the rental price would be unaffordable and she has concerns about the corporation working with the developer. I spoke with city manager Terry Emery who says there is a need for rental homes in Marysville. He says rent would run $2,500 a month or more. There's some concerns and some of the concerns are, are valid. Uh, I think there needs to be strong consideration, though, in, in increasing the diversity of the type of homes that are available to people uh, in the Marysville market. Uh, one example is uh, some of our corporations, whether it's Honda or Scotts or others, may have individuals that are interested in coming in to work for like two to three year periods of time. According to Emory, American Homes for Rent would work with the developer on this plan. State Senator Bill Blessing says companies are scooping up thousands of homes statewide and it's driving up home prices and it creates more competition for home buyers. He proposed legislation this spring to crack down by taxing $1,500 per month per property for those who own more than 50 properties in a given county. What happens is, is that rather than 
you know, pass that on, it destroys the business model and they are forced to sell. American Homes for Rent did not respond to our request for an interview. The Marysville Planning Commission unanimously approved this plan earlier this month. It now goes to Marysville City Council. In Uptown Marysville, Lindsay Mills, 10 TV News. Ohio is joining a nationwide initiative to expand the crackdown on illegal robocalls. Attorney General Dave Yost introduced a joint state and federal initiative called Operation Stop Scam Calls. This operation targets not only telemarketers and their companies, but also the lead generators who collect your information and give the robocallers your phone number. It also focuses on service providers that facilitate the calls. If you get a robocall, we have a link at 10tv.com slash featured links where you can report it. Looking ahead, this year, the Columbus City Schools District will be investing in student mental health. CCS recently received a grant for $1.7 million. Tara Jabor is back now with more from the district on how they are going to spend that money. We currently have about 20 restorative practice trained trainers in our district, and we are looking to make sure that we have more than one in every single school building as we go forward. $1.7 million towards restorative practice. That's what the Columbus City School District is doing with its recent grant from the state of Ohio. McNally says restorative practice is about training teachers and staff to interact with students better who are going through a hard time. We know that so many of our students are coming to us with increased stress levels, increased anxiety, increased um, disruptions in behavioral regulation, especially after the pandemic. She says they want teachers to train students on how to deal with those difficult emotions. It's really about how are we interacting and creating those relationships with our learners and helping to build their skill sets and their ability to regulate their stress levels to handle feelings of being overwhelmed, to handle feelings of frustration in a really productive way. She says those things like anxiety and stress take kids out of the classroom mentally and sometimes physically. Um, We want them to have a better ability to handle stress and frustration and anxiety as it comes up. The district is also using the money to expand its attendance team. Going to um, different community events and raising our awareness and education around attendance, which is critical. We know that dismissing two days, a, two days a month, dismissing two days a month of school can cause, can cause your kid to be chronically absent. Pollard says their goal is to encourage kids to stay in the classroom. In order for them to kind of reach the students, to kind of hit the goals we're looking to hit, whether that's academically, social, emotionally, or mentally, we need to have students at school present every day. And as tuition rises, wages not keeping up. Three areas that are driving up those costs. Central Ohioans say they are having an unusually hard time getting their unemployment money. We're looking into what's being done to help them. Right now, our country feels divided, but there's a place where people are coming together. I got to tell you, I was nervous to talk to someone so different than me. Me too, but I'm glad we are. Love Has No Labels and One Small Step are helping people with different political views, beliefs, and life experiences come together through conversation, and it feels good. Wow, your story is so... uh, Interesting. Yeah. (laughs) When people actually sit down, talk, and listen to one another, they can break down boundaries and connect as human beings. At lovehasnolabels.com slash one small step, you can listen to amazing, life-changing conversations and find simple tools to start a conversation of your own. I know one thing. This conversation gives me hope. It gives me a lot of hope, too. Take a step toward bringing our country and your community together by having the courage to start a conversation at lovehasnolabels.com slash one small step. 
A message from StoryCorps, Love Has No Labels, and the Ad Council. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV. Welcome back to Face the State. Ohioans say they are having an unusually hard time getting their unemployment money, putting a strain on their pocketbooks and their lives. 10TV's Ashley Bornanson spoke with one resident who wants answers on when people can see their money. Like many in the tech industry, Reynoldsburg resident Ryan Evans tells me he was laid off. But that's not the only thing he's concerned about. It's the halt in unemployment money and the lack of response from the Ohio Department of Job and Family Services that has him concerned. Got quite a few interviews, but just a lot of competition right now. Ryan Evans says he was laid off from a software development job in May. So I'm kind of the person that decides, you know, what the software is supposed to do and work with software developers and testers. His main stressor, not getting through to the Ohio Department of Job and Family Services for his unemployment money. It's, it's stressful enough trying to find a job. If I have to now, like, go through all these hoops just to, like, maybe get a hold of someone to file a claim, like, I don't have that kind of time. Evan says he hasn't received unemployment money for three weeks. But they need to be available then. Um, and they said this has been going on for weeks. So the fact that, like, like I said, in my opinion, there's something very, there's something clearly, something's going wrong there. That something wrong is caused by scammers. In a statement, a spokesperson says the agency is, quote, seeing unusually long wait times with an increased number of attempts to fraudulently access its unemployment system. The spokesperson says they have identified and addressed the issues and notified impacted individuals, resulting in the high call volume. You know, obviously, there's plenty of people who, you know, live paycheck to paycheck. So for them not to be able to file for weeks, like, you know, I mean, but eventually, you know, everyone, you know, is going to feel that pressure. And Evans tells me though he was able to reach a representative in the last few days, he still worries if that unemployment money will ever come. Reporting in Columbus, I'm Ashley Bornanson for 10TV News. Continue concern as more colleges push to increase tuition. As a tuition increase at The Ohio State University is set to take effect this fall, incoming freshmen from our state will have to pay 3% more, a $374 change in price. Now students who don't live in Ohio will pay 5 0.2% more, more than a $1,200 price increase. New evidence now shows tuition isn't the only thing rising. Average wages not keeping up. And that's according to a recent study from Georgetown University. Gloria Pasmino explains what's causing the sharp increases. Cal State University students are stressing out about a proposed increase in tuition. It means uh, I rarely can afford food <laughs> and gas. Um, I typically, for me, I don't get financial aid. It's part of a nationwide trend between 1980 and 2020. The average price of tuition, fees, room and board for an undergraduate degree increased by 169%. That's according to a report from the Georgetown University Center on education and the workforce. That rise far outpaces wage increases in the same time period. It's really a problem um, that incomes are not rising more rapidly, not only because of college, but because of all of the other things that 
families and households need to buy. So what's driving up the cost? Experts point to some key factors, increasing faculty salaries, increasing competition at top schools, and decreasing state funding. So it's a perfect storm for families where the tuition has been growing, grant aid has been lowering, uh, and they are being asked to make up the difference. For anyone aiming to pursue higher education, Michelle Shepard with the Institute for College Access and Success suggests always looking at federal aid and scholarship programs first. And then if you do need to turn to loans, which most students likely will, start with the federal student loan program and maximize the the federal loan before you go outside of the, the program. And to give you some perspective on this, last year, the average American saved about $5,000. That means it would take about 75 years to raise enough cash to send one child to a top-rated college. Certainly more to talk about there. And we will do that right here on Face the State. In the meantime, thank you for joining us today and have a great week. That's again Tracy Townsend, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, from their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. In a couple of minutes, I'll talk with U.S. Senator Sherrod Brown, Democrat from Ohio. When a child is diagnosed with cancer, the last thing parents should have to worry about is how to pay for it. This is a St. Jude moment. Calvin got diagnosed June 10th of 2018. He has rhabdomyosarcoma, sarcoma, a soft tissue cancer. One oncologist told us if it was my son, we'd go to St. Jude. And within 24 hours, we were on a plane headed here. It's hard to fathom what St. Jude has done for us. They've really given our family hope for the donors out there. It's just amazing. I never thought we would be in this place. And it's people like you that help us and help St. Jude provide for a family like ours. St. Jude is like the gold at the end of a rainbow. And we are so grateful and thankful for everything. Finding cures, saving children. Learn more at stjude.org. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Earlier this week, I had just about four or five minutes to talk with U.S. Senator Sherrod Brown about a couple of issues. This was recorded the day after Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell of Kentucky froze during a news conference with reporters, staring straight ahead without speaking for about 20 seconds before other senators led him away to his office. He came back a few minutes later and said he was fine. I wanted to ask you uh, about the situation with uh, Senator Mitch McConnell kind of zoning out, and uh, there were reports that he fell getting off a plane a couple of weeks ago. What's your take on on these uh, octogenarians now in, in office? Well, I, I mean, it's up to the voters in any state to make a determination who, you know, whom they support. I, I actually talked to Mitch McConnell, Senator McConnell, last night on the Senate floor about some things, and uh, he looked fine to me. But uh, it's not it's not up to me to judge my colleagues or uh, their health, or it's up to the voters of, in his case, Kentucky. Well, I, I did want to ask you then too. Uh, you know, if you are reelected, you'll be seventy-eight at the end of your next term. 
Uh, will this be your last term if you're reelected? I have no idea. I don't think in those terms. I, um, I've served this state well. I fought for, uh, I fought, been in every part of the state from the East Palestine, helping people get their lives back in order to Toledo, working on Lake Erie issues to uh, Columbus, working on ships, making sure that those are well-paid jobs and we get people trained to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton. So I'll hold my record against up against anybody in either part. Uh, for what we've accomplished. And I wanted to ask you about State Issue 1, Senator. Uh, it asks Ohioans to require 60% voter approval to pass constitutional amendments. What's your take on that? Well, it's clearly a power grab. I mean, the people in Columbus, they're they're corrupt. Look at, you know, two of their leaders have gone to jail. They keep looking to grab more power. This denies people a majority vote. Uh, you know, whether it's about abortion or whether it's about labor standards or whether it's about minimum wage or whether it's about uh, protecting the environment against climate change, the extremists in Columbus want more power and the voters need to vote no a week from Tuesday uh, so that they don't accumulate more power and, and are unaccountable. One of the bills I've worked hardest on is to make bank executives accountable. You run a bank into the ground, you should pay a price. Politicians need to be held accountable. Bankers need to be held accountable. Um, all of us need to be held accountable. And this state issue one goes in exactly the wrong direction. It does seem odd that this uh, issue would not require 60 percent approval to get it passed. Otherwise, it just seems like an odd scenario. Well, it's, it's odd because it's the way they grab power. It also costs taxpayers $20 million to do this. They, they ended special elections in August. Now, because they, they are doing this power grab and taking a majority vote away, the constitutional rights of, of voting away from constituents, they're willing to spend $20 million to do it. Uh, and it's just the ultimate in hypocrisy. But some people would say, you know, it, it should be harder to, to amend the Constitution. It's much harder to amend the U.S. Constitution. It's already very hard to amend the Constitution. Uh, is one of those, is, uh, the former editor, editor of Columbus Dispatch said there have been more perfect games thrown in baseball than there have been successful attempts at amending the Constitution in the last hundred years. And there have only been, I believe, 19 or 20 perfect games thrown in baseball. So um, it's just a bogus argument. Why all of a sudden do they want this, making it much harder to amend the Constitution? It's already very hard, gathering 450,000 signatures convincing the public to change uh, the Constitution. It's hap- it happens rarely. All of a sudden, it's happening. Well, that's because they, the people in Columbus, the corrupt crowd in Columbus, two of their leaders are going to prison for long prison sentences because of their corruption. And all of a sudden, they want to make it harder for voters in this state to have their way. The hypocrisy uh, and the power grab are just stunning. Okay. Uh, Senator, thanks so much for your time. All right. Thanks, David. See you. Making it green is making sure the air in your home is healthy for your family to breathe. Make sure you test your home for radon. It's easy. Just call 866-730-GREEN. Make it green, green, green. A message from the US EPA. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. 
Hi, this is Dave James, and on the phone with me is Dr. Clinton Wright, who is the Director of the Division of Clinical Research at the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke, which is with the National Institutes of Health. How are you? Very well. Thank you for having me. Thanks for talking to us. We're going to talk about long COVID, uh, especially in minority populations and efforts uh, to learn more about it and do something about it. First, tell us about long COVID. Right. Well, long COVID is a persistence or development of symptoms after the acute infection. Um, And right now, the recover program is really trying to understand what are the different symptoms, what are the groups of symptoms that happen in in, in people uh, to define long COVID. That's one of the main points of the recover program. So uh, we really need to, to get everybody involved so that we can understand how COVID uh, affects everybody, right? And it seems like from the articles that I've read over the years that uh, it, it just seems to run the gamut. I mean, it seems like just about every symptom under the sun seems to be involved in this. Exactly. And, you know, I think we've counted, uh, you know, upwards of 200 uh, different symptoms that have been reported by people. Um, but, you know, it's very complicated because, number one, uh, you know, we don't know if every symptom is caused by the COVID infection itself or if they happen to be co-occurrent, you know. And then, um, obviously, there have been a number of different variants in, uh, in COVID, and so maybe each of those variants uh, affects people differently. So we designed the Recover program to really get a handle on that. And um, now the data from uh, Recover is coming out, um, and showing us that there are groups of symptoms that seem to be more common. So even though there are you know, many, many symptoms that have been reported, it's more common for people to fall into these groups of symptoms. They include things like uh, fatigue, uh, brain fog, um, problems with sleeping, um, you know, uh, things like that, a loss of, uh, of uh, taste and smell, um, and so on. And uh, so... We're trying to understand it. So do those symptoms, uh, does long COVID seem to affect, uh, you know, one race or perhaps one gender more than another? Is it discriminatory? Uh, It's a great question that we're still trying to get an answer to. So clearly the acute uh, COVID infection and, you know, during the pandemic, we saw that certain groups uh, like black uh, people and, uh, you know, Hispanic people were more affected. Um, we're not sure if that's completely the case in, uh, in long COVID, but we designed Recover to make sure to include those people uh, to make sure that we could uh, understand if that was the case because, you know, of course we had evidence from the acute infection. So Recover was designed to engage each of these communities uh, very fully and to really listen to people that were suffering from long COVID to understand what their concerns were. Can you talk more about this recover program that the National Institutes of Health is involved in in recruiting people to continue to learn more about this? Uh, made up of uh, multiple different components, but um, the three main components are one, an observational study that's enrolled you know thousands and thousands of people to really study them individually and follow them over time and see how their symptoms evolve. There's also an electronic health record study that includes millions of 
healthcare records from different healthcare systems to see what's being reported in the medical record. And then there's pathobiology studies that are being done to understand the biology underneath long COVID to, to try and develop uh, avenues for treatment. So is this something that people in the general public can get involved in, or how, how are you uh, recruiting people or finding people to be involved in this? Yeah, that's a great question. So we have a lot of community engagement uh, uh programs going on uh, throughout the United States and different communities, uh, but people listening to the show can go to recovercovid.org um, and find out all about Recover, uh, put in their information, and get, uh, get involved that way. Talking with uh, Dr. Clinton Wright, he is uh, with the National Institutes of Health. You know, I just uh, saw updated numbers from Ohio on, on COVID-19 the other day, and uh, we're still averaging about 13 deaths a week. We've had 800 deaths in the last 19 weeks in Ohio from COVID-19. It hasn't completely gone away yet. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it, it's uh, people want it to be you know completely gone. Uh, we all do, um, but uh, it's still affecting people. You know, and um, especially people that are have weakened immune systems or they might be you know fragile in some way. Uh, they're more vulnerable to severe infections. Uh, but then, you know, a lot of people are getting mild infections. And then the question is, do some of those people go on to develop persistent symptoms that last much, much longer? And that's what we're trying to understand. And it's, uh, I guess, uh, you know, it, it continues to be just an unbelievably important occurrence because it's, it's not just about eradicating what we're still dealing with, but learning from it, because uh, I would imagine 10, 20 years from now, we're still going to be learning from this pandemic. Yes, I, I agree. Um, you know, it, it's not at all clear. Um, and we also need to um, understand this so that we can prepare for the next, you know, pandemic. Uh, God forbid. Do you have any uh, any sense of, uh, you know, going forward, what's going to happen in the fall and winter time when it comes to COVID-19? Well, um the, um, you know, the rates of, of upper respiratory infections, uh, you know, tend to, to go up, um, you know, at the advent of fall and winter. You know, people are spending more time indoors. They're closer together. Um, but that's uh, a little bit um, depends on the how infectious the, the agent is and so on and so forth. And with these different variants, it's hard to know, uh, you know, what, what it's going to look like down the line. But... Uh, we're really focused here on uh, on long COVID um, and really trying to understand, you know, how long those symptoms last and um, and what we can do to treat them. When it comes to long COVID, uh, you know, when you talk about people who are experiencing fatigue or brain fog and that type of thing, what is the level of severity? Are, are some some folks completely out of the workplace still because of the symptoms? Yeah, uh, I think it is. You know relatively rare for someone to be completely, uh, to be, you know, completely disabled. I think a lot of people are, because the numbers are so big that there are a lot of people that are completely disabled by it. So no, no question about that. Uh, and then there's a, an even larger group that is, uh, you know, um, just finding it very hard to function, right? Um, you know, carry on their daily activities the way they used to. Um, and, um, so, you know, it, it's very debilitating, and, of course, it, it has an effect on caregivers. It has an effect on the workplace, as you, as you mentioned, um, and it costs money. So I think it's a big problem that we need to understand better. 
And as we wrap this up, Doctor, I have to ask this because there are so many people that, you know, that believe that vaccines are playing a role in this. Uh, what is your take on people who say vaccines are part of the problem? We don't have evidence that vaccines are, are part of the problem. Um, there are, uh, of course, individuals that have reactions uh, to vaccine. They're, they're very, very small numbers. Uh, so I think that uh, there's a lot of uh, you know, disinformation out there. We need to stick with uh, well-designed studies and, and the science. Dr. Clinton Wright joining us. He's the director of the Division of Clinical Research at the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke with the National Institutes of Health. Anything else you'd like to add? Just that uh, we want people to get involved uh, so that we can you know, get a handle on this uh, set of disorders and, and do something about them. I thank you for having me on the show. Great. Thanks so much for your time, Doctor. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. This has been Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation to the fan. Heard each Sunday morning at 6 on WBNS AM. That's 1460 ESPN Columbus. And Sunday morning at 7 on WBNS FM. Sports Radio 97.1 The Fan. Join us again next Sunday for Columbus Perspective.